You are listening to NTC Messina's podcast, where our desire as a family of God is to simply know God, love one another, and make disciples. Living transformed, and today is going to be a little bit different. I'm actually, we're going to be talking about something very practical near the end of the message, but I want to talk about kind of the vision of where we're going with what I'm going to speak about at the end. And it's part of living transformed. And so if you've been here the last couple of weeks, you know, the week before that, Mark Estes spoke about living beyond yourself, which was an incredible, incredible message. I'd say, again, go back, watch that. It's on our live stream on Facebook. We'd love for you to be, um, watch that. Th- those of you online, thanks so much for being patient with us. Our tech hasn't been very cooperative the last couple of weeks, uh, but we appreciate you sticking with us online and joining with us that way. So today I'm going to talk about living transformed, but I want to go to one of my favorite stories in the Bible, and I've spoke from this story so many times. And so many aspects of this story can speak to our lives. And so I'm going to speak to a certain aspect of this story from John 4. So if you have your Bibles, you can open up. Uh, John 4, I'm going to just give you some background. We're not going to read through the whole story, but I'm going to get to the end of the story and talk about what happens there. So John 4 is a story of the woman at the well. Maybe you've heard this story before, but let me give you a little background. So Jesus and his disciples are basically just wandering around Israel, doing the work of of his father, right? He says he's going where his father tells him to go. He's doing what his father tells him to do. He's saying what his father tells him to say. This is Jesus, right? So his life kind of looks like a wanderer at the moment. And he finds himself walking. Now, I've driven around Israel, And Israel is not a nice walking place. Like, when they talk about hills and valleys, they're serious. Like, they're, I, we walked around just the old city of Jerusalem, and I don't find myself to be that old or that out of shape, but I felt old and out of shape. And I thought about, man, Jesus walked for literally three years Everywhere he went, he's walking all the way from Capernaum down to Jerusalem. He walked there. And it is not necessarily an easy walk. And so I consider kind of this in the storyline of, of what happens in the woman at the well. They're walking, and basically Jesus is tired, which I get. He's really tired, and he stops at this well and basically tells his disciples, hey, why don't you go into that town over there and find us some food? We're hungry, we've been walking a lot, we've been doing the things God's telling us to do, but I'm just going to hang right here at the well, you go into town and find some food. So Jesus is by himself at this well, and this woman comes to the well, that's the story, right? The woman at the well, it's an easy self-explanatory title. She comes to the well, but there's part of the whole context of the woman coming at this hour of the day tells you a little bit about her life. So it was noon. It was midday, it was hottest time of the the day, and that's not when people would normally go to collect water. Now, when you want to, if you're going to go collect water in a country where you have to do that sort of thing, you're going usually early morning. You're trying to beat the sun, and you want to get there and back before it gets blazing hot, and you got to carry, you know, whatever jars you're using to carry water, putting it on your heads if you're in Uganda with five-gallon jerry cans, You don't want to do that in the middle of the day very often. But she comes in the dead middle of the day, and really the story context tells us she does that on purpose because she's trying to avoid everyone else who's going to the well. 
So she comes to this well and she finds Jesus just hanging out there. And if you know some of the story, it's a life-altering moment. Now I'm going to breeze over the first parts of the story. Basically, Jesus starts by saying to her, hey, can you get me some water? And she kind of is taken aback because two things. She's a woman and she's a Sumerian woman. And so she's like, you're not supposed to be talking to me. Why is this guy asking me a question? And so she kind of comes back and like, why are you asking me for water? You know, blah, blah, blah. And then he ends up kind of getting into this very spiritual moment. He says, well, if you knew who I was, you'd be asking me for water. And I would give you a water that would make you never thirsty again. And she becomes intrigued. Never thirsty again? You mean I want to have to walk, collect water at this well in the middle of the day? That sounds like a good idea. And so she says, where would you get this water from? And actually, she kind of challenges him, like, oh, you have better water than my ancestors gave us in this well because it was a special well, you know, given to them by their ancestors. And she kind of challenges him, and he's kind of coming back at her. Basically, he doesn't really engage what she's saying. And he finally gets to a part where, because she's asking about this, you know, living water that he says he can give her. And he says, well, why don't you go and get your husband? And she goes, well, I don't have a husband. And then Jesus says this, you're right, you don't. Because you've had five husbands, and the man you're living with now isn't even your husband. If we think that Jesus isn't a very straightforward character, you need to read this story. I mean, this is, this is like, have, have you ever read... Um, that book that, that's called The Ideal Team Player. And there's kind of three circles in someone who's a good team player. And one of them, one of the circles that makes up a person who's a good team player in a company or in an organization, it's called people smart. It means you don't say dumb things in the wrong situations. Now in this moment, this is where you'd look at Jesus and go, whoa, uh, you shouldn't call someone out because they've been married five times and are living with someone that they don't, aren't married to now. Like, come on, Jesus, that's not very people smart. Like, that's gonna hurt her feelings. But yet Jesus literally, like, pokes her in her life on probably the sorest subject of all. Right after he awkwardly talks about living water and eternal life and she's confused by this guy talking to her, he pro she probably just thinks he's crazy. But then he says this thing that's about her life and he reveals literally her brokenness right there in the moment. Now granted, we're reading this story after the fact. And we know Jesus is Jesus. And we're like, oh, Jesus can do whatever he wants. But she's, she doesn't know who Jesus is yet. Now, in a nice way, they're one-on-one. -on -one. He's not saying this in front of some crowd, right? Right? But he pokes her in her life. He kind of presses on this wound in her life. And listen, I, I don't care who you are in this room. If you've been married five times, that's a painful experience. That's just saying something is painfully hurting inside a person who has been through that much relationship struggle. And he puts his hand on that part of her life and he, he kind of presses it. Imagine what that would do to you in that moment if that happened. So first you're having a discussion with a semi-crazy person. 
talking about living water and wells, and you're like, I don't even understand what this guy's saying. And then all of a sudden, he calls you out for the, like, the hardest parts of your life. I would imagine the tone in that moment changed deeply. And then I've always joked about this part of the story. She immediately tries to change the subject. Great, great, that's what I would do too. She doesn't even respond. And she really immediately perceives, right, that he's a prophet of some sort. So she tries to ask the most spiritual question she knows of, which is some basically spiritual debate that was occurring in that day about which mountain you were supposed to worship on. Whether you can worship on this mountain that our ancestors said or whether the Jews are right and you have to worship over in this place. And Jesus is like, that's not even important. He literally fluffs off. He says, listen, a day's coming when it won't matter where you worship. So he kind of answers her question, but he skirts past it again. And he gets to this part. And he says, it'll no longer matter whether you worship the Father in this mountain Jerusalem. So he answers that thing. And he says, but the time is coming, indeed it's here now, this is verse 23 of chapter 4, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, and the Father is looking for those who will worship him in that way. It's kind of going in an interesting direction here. I think sometimes we read the scriptures and we just think, oh, it's just all so spiritual. But honestly, let's just put our, our brains on this. Like, this is just a really odd situation. First, he's talking about living water, eternal life. Then he's talking about her brokenness and her divorces and the person she's living with. And she brings up worship. And now he's talking about worship. He's talking about worshiping in spirit and truth. All within what seems like a very short conversation. But I really think he's going somewhere specific. And he says this, the father's looking for those who will worship him in that way. For God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. And so she's probably just still confused. And she says this in verse 25. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming. The one who is called Christ. When he comes, he'll explain everything to us. You get it? She's like, this guy, I haven't got a clue what he's talking about. She doesn't know he's the Messiah. And so she says to him, listen. Like, she doesn't even want to talk about it anymore. When the Messiah comes, he'll explain it. Like, stop trying to tell me about these spiritual things I don't understand. Leave me alone at this point. But then Jesus does something that's really incredible moment in Scripture here. And he says, then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. So this is a big deal because this is the first person that he says it to. He's been walking with his disciples for literally years now. Years. All over Israel. And he's probably alluded to the fact, and they might think he might be, but he has not come right out and said it to a person. And yet in this moment, a woman at a well who's avoiding people the best she can, who has had such a broken life in relationships, who is really confused about her own understanding of the religious practices of the day, and who's just trying to get out of the situation, Jesus decides to tell her, I am the Messiah. This is really an incredible moment. Now, I really can't imagine the whirlwind that must have happened within her mind through this whole conversation. 
So he says, I am the Messiah. And it says, just then, so let's pick it up here in verse 27. Just then his disciples came back. They were shocked to find him talking to a woman, but none of them had the nerve to ask, what do you want with her, or why are you talking to her? So they were shocked, because this is really out of the norm. I know it's not so out of the norm for us, but in that day, him talking to this woman from a different culture, extremely not, it's actually, you're just breaking the rules. And so they're shocked. Why is he talking to this woman? But they don't even have the nerve to ask him why. But and then this, this is where I want to get to. So they don't have the nerve to ask, what do you want with her, or why are you talking to her? Verse 28 says this. The woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. So let's stop there for a second. This is really important. Because honestly, this is such a picture of our encounters with Jesus. This whole story is just you and me. I'm telling you, I, I, I don't know about you, but when I met Jesus, I wasn't planning on it. I wasn't like, hey, you know what? Today's a convenient time to follow God. I'm going to go and find out about that. But literally, somehow in our life, God is pursuing all humanity, and so he interrupts us in the middle of our daily practices. He interrupts us in the middle of what our life looks like in those moments, no matter how broken we are, no matter how many mistakes we've made, no matter how far we think we are from being spiritually good enough, he comes and meets us in moments where he can get to us. Where he can get to us really one-on-one. I'm telling you, Jesus is always looking for a moment, a one-on-one moment with us. And he comes into this woman's world in this moment. And he presents this truth that really she's confused by. He ends up speaking, you know, these words of knowledge about her life and seeing exactly the brokenness that she's in. Then he reveals who he is to her. And in a moment, everything changes for her. So let's just remember the woman who started at the beginning of this story. Why was she at the well? To avoid everyone. What's the woman like at the end? Runs to tell everyone. Look at the transformation that takes place from the beginning of this story to the end. She meets Jesus. She realizes he's the Messiah. He, he speaks some confusing spiritual stuff about living water and eternal life and, and all that kind of stuff, but yet somehow she meets him in a real way, and she has to run to tell everyone. I'm convinced when we really come face to face with Jesus, we can't possibly leave the same. When we come face to face with who he is, when he maybe even makes us really uncomfortable and kind of calls us out on our junk and our brokenness, somehow we cannot leave the same. This is the Jesus I'm following. 
This is the God I know, not a God who's just uh, you know, a good book of stories or a good practice on Sunday or maybe good just ways to live your life or good principles, but literally a God who's relational enough to get inside the middle of my life, even in the midst of my brokenness, and then show me who he is. Show me his nature. And so she runs to tell everyone, and there's kind of a couple important things that stood out to me as I was reading this this week. It says this. She, she, the woman left her water jar beside the well. I want to stop on that little verse. Because I think these things represent something to us. First, she has this water jar, and what, is it, what does it really symbolize? It's life. I mean, in a literal sense, yeah, it's water. You literally can't live without it. And so she has this jar that really contains basically all that she knows about life, and yet it's kind of probably not the best case scenario. You know, she's coming at noon, and her life doesn't look right, and so she, she doesn't go at the same time everybody else does, but it's this symbol of what, is, what makes up her life right now. And the very reason she went there to begin with, she doesn't even care about anymore. And she leaves it. She puts it down. And also she puts it down by the very place she was going to. And I think this this jar kind of idea symbolizes our life, the things we're carrying, the things we're doing with our life, and then the well is really the thing that we're always going to to try to get through the next day. The thing we go to to get sustenance from and to kind of make it to another, another place in our life, and so we carry our life the way we just always have. We go to the same place, but yet Jesus wants to come and interrupt us in that moment, and really the best response is forget about them both. Because he has a new life for us. Second Corinthians, and even as we're talking about baptism, I'm going to read out Second Corinthians 5 at the end of this, and it says that the old life is gone and a new life has begun. That's what meeting Jesus really means for us. That's what transformation actually is. So living transformed doesn't look like we come to a well with the very life that we've carried. We meet Jesus, we still get the same water, we still carry the same thing, and we go back to life as normal. It's not what takes place here. She puts the jar down. She forgets about the well altogether. And she runs to tell everyone about someone who might possibly be the Messiah. I think that's transformation. She's forgotten in that moment what everybody in town probably thinks about her. Oh, that's the woman that's had five husbands. I wonder who she's with now. That's the person no one even wants to be around. Oh, that's the the girl that always trying to avoid everybody else. And she forgets all the things that she knows. Everyone's thinking about her. And she's compelled to do something with what just happened in her life. says so she runs back and says the people start streaming from the village, but yet something else is taking place. We're going to move on in the story. 
It says, verse 31, Meanwhile, the disciples were urging Jesus, Rabbi, eat something. So they'd gone, they got the food, they came back. He's talking to this woman, it's weird, but she runs away. Now they're okay. And now they're like, Jesus, eat something. You're hungry. Remember, you sent us into town to get food. And this is his response. But Jesus replied, I have a kind of food you know nothing about. Like, I'll be honest. If I was Jesus' friend, I would kind of think he's difficult. Like, read all the stories. He answers questions with more questions. You say something, and he just skirts by it. He sends you to get food, and then when you get bad, he's like, I got food you know nothing about. Like, wow, you're so appreciative. (laughs) We always, like, look at these stories for real. Like, Jesus, he's living somewhere we're not. He speaks in a way we often don't understand. I love that scripture that always says, his ways are higher than our ways. His mind is higher than ours. And whenever I am questioning him, whenever I'm honest, that's what just rings in my head. And I'm like, yeah, I know. I like to think I can think like you, but I can't. Transform me a little more today, Jesus. Because I'm not understanding where you're going. And so he says, I have food you know nothing about. Did someone bring him food while we were gone? The disciples asked each other. So they're not even talking to him, right? They're just like, what the heck's the deal? Where'd he get food from? And then Jesus explains this. My nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. You know the saying, four months between planting and harvest. But I say, wake up, look around. The fields are already ripe for harvest. The harvesters are paid good wages and the fruit they harvest is people brought to eternal life. What joy awaits both the planter and the harvester alike. You know the saying, one plants and another harvests. And it's true, I sent you to harvest where you didn't plant. Others had already gone and done the work, and now you will get to gather the harvest. And they're probably like, we were just talking about dinner, Jesus. But this is extremely important here. My nourishment comes from doing the will of my Father. I think that what happens oftentimes in Christianity is we come to Jesus and we have even maybe a radical moment just like this woman at the well where Jesus comes into our life and we understand his grace and his love and he kind of shows us our brokenness and we know we need to change and we have this incredible moment but maybe we pick that jar back up and maybe we just go back to life as normal and and we kind of just do this thing. Maybe we do it because we just see that's what other Christians are doing. We just got to go to church on Sunday. We got to be there from 10 to about 11.45 and and when they shame us enough, we got to help clean up the place. And we just go about some routine of Christianity rather than realizing that Jesus is trying to transform us into something else altogether, like we talked about last week. That when we come and meet him, we're supposed to change. We're supposed to be different. We're supposed to react different and think different. And in fact, Jesus is kind of giving us a point right here on what that different is. He says, my nourishment comes from doing the will of my Father. I'm telling you, if you come to Christianity, if you come to church, if you participate in following Jesus, yet you don't feel nourished, maybe you're not doing the will of the Father. 
Romans 12, 2, we read last week. It says, do not be conformed or do not follow the behaviors and customs of this world. But be transformed. But let God transform you by changing the way you think. And then it says this. And then you will know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. And here we see Jesus talking about, I, am, I have a nourishment you don't understand because I'm doing the will of my Father. You want fulfillment in Christianity? It isn't going to be because of a one-time experience. I think we, that's just, it's the starting line. It's the opening of a door. It's the scales off our eyes to see that there's a different world out there that we couldn't see before or understand. But it's not where it stops, it's where it starts. And then from there, I'm telling you, Christianity will just get boring and lame if we don't start being transformed and doing the will of our Father. The fulfillment of what God has for us comes from actually following him, from doing what he does. John 15 says it another way. It says, I've told you all of this so that joy will overflow. And all of this that he was saying in John 15 was this, obey my commandments. Do what I'm telling you to do. Produce much fruit. And the fruit he's talking about is revealed right here in John 4. The fruit is people brought to eternal life. Right here. The harvesters are paid good wages and the fruit they harvest is people brought to eternal life. I'm telling you. I wanted to do this, but I didn't want, I didn't, I'm not gonna. But I wanted to have everybody raise their hand who has been a part of seeing someone come to Jesus for the first time. Don't do it. But I want you to actually think right now. Have I ever led someone to knowing Christ? If you haven't, you're still at the door. You're still at the starting line. Listen, I don't, I don't do this pastor thing because of the good money or the great conversations. I don't do it because, you know, I like to stand up in front of a crowd of people and often say dumb things and look stupid and feel stupid at times. I do it because when I have been used by God, I can't tell you what it feels like. You can only know when you've experienced it. When you actually get to be a part of someone coming to a thing called eternal life, of someone coming out of the mud that we heard about today and, and taking the hand of Jesus and their life becomes transformed. When you get to be a part of seeing someone else's life, is life transformed, it changes you like nothing else does. That's what God designed. In fact, I'm pretty sure we can't be transformed unless we're helping others be transformed. I, I think it's impossible. I think we will always struggle, we'll always have these cycles in life and, and wonder, God, why can't I get free of this? Or why can't I feel fulfilled in this? Or why can't I, I find peace in this way? And it's because he's simply saying, you're supposed to be doing it at the same time as you're receiving it. My nourishment comes from doing the will of my Father. And then this second part of the sentence. My nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. This is a big deal. Finishing his work. 
God starts the work, but he calls us to finish it. I don't know why. I think we're probably not very good finishers. Now, I don't know about you guys, but when I start a project, I'm just gung-ho at the beginning. Like, oh yeah, I, you know, I started an edition last year. I'm like, yes, I'm going to put this amazing master suite on. I did the foundation. We, you know, we cranked out like the shell was up in just literally a few weeks. And I'm like, yeah, 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 I'm not done yet. <laughs> I got my bedroom done. I got the tiling into the, into the, the hallway. And I'm like, yeah, that's probably good enough for now. My knees hurt. My back hurts. I'm tired. I don't want to keep doing this. It's nice outside. I want to do something else. And I find all these excuses. I haven't finished the work. I'm telling you, there's something really incredible about finishing work. When I finish a project, I'm slightly embarrassed by this because Jessica catches me doing it. I just kind of stare at it for a long period of time. And then I'll go do something else so I look normal. And then I'll come back like when no one's around. And I'm like, yeah, this looks good, doesn't it? Man. But when I haven't finished the work, you want to know what I do? I don't want to look at it. I'm like, close the door, put a tarp over it. Don't show anybody that part of the house yet. If they have to see it, explain that, you know, I'm going to get to it tomorrow. Yeah, just finishing up that trim from four years ago. There's something about finishing work that brings unbelievable fulfillment. And so when we come to Christ, when we come into his kingdom, when we start to be a follower of God, yet we don't put our, our shoulder to a plow in a sense and actually work for him, do his will, help to see others' lives transformed, I'm telling you, you'll always be almost avoiding it. Because you'll know, I should have finished that before. I should have helped that person before. I should have spoke that word of encouragement. I should have brought that person to church. I should have invited that person. I, I should have not been this way. And yet, so we don't see this finished work, and we end up becoming avoiders of the very thing God calls us to do. Instead of people who are like, I'm going to put my shoulder to the plow. I'm going I'm to work wherever God calls me to work, and I'm going to see it to a finished work. So Jesus says that. My nourishment comes from doing the will of my Father who sent me and from finishing his work. I put this quote in our notes from Bill Johnson. It says, transformed people transform cities. My wife posted this last week and I said, I'm going to steal that. If we're transformed people, it means we're transforming other people. It means we're transforming the, the places we work in and the people we're around and the cities and villages and towns in which we live. And then those things actually change around us. This is the will of our Father who sent us, which is to finish his work. So 10 years ago, um, we went to Uganda for the first time. And it was just, just under 10 years ago. I took a team of, of students. Uh, I think they were actually all in high school at the time. And we went to northern Uganda to a place called Gulu. 
and we were kind of walking and partnering a little bit with this um, children's home who had kids in it and just, you know, we're working to help these kids that were orphaned or didn't have good family situations. And so we went and we were there. And, and honestly, the first trip that I was there, I was like terrified. I'd never been to Africa. I've never been in a, a situation where I'm the minority, literally. And, and I, it was life-changing for me in a, a so many ways. And in fact, I, I really fell in love with the place. We started going more, we started to partner more, we took more trips there with other teams, and, and actually in about 2016, when, when I was transitioning to become the lead pastor here, uh, just a, a big situation occurred. We had had a plan, we wanted to send some people to plant a church. Uh, we, you know, the organization we were working with had 20 acres of land, and we wanted to do something in Uganda to see it transformed. And honestly, what happened was it kind of fell apart. It, 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 that's the best way to explain it. And we actually stepped in in 2016 and, and actually took over this NGO. And, and I became a director of an NGO overnight. And we kind of inherited everything they had, the good, the bad, the in-between. And we actually worked for a number of years taking the kids that were in this home and resettling them into families. And some of you know a lot of the backstory to that. And uh, Hannah, oh gosh, I almost forgot, I almost called you White. Castro now, and uh, Jenna White. See, look at these, they're all married, and I just want to say all Kesner. And Kayla Kesner went and lived there for a couple of years, um, on and off at times, helping these kids get transitioned, helping the families understand the process. And we've really worked there over the last now five years just supporting these kids in their families that they've been settled in and, you know, getting them through school, basically through a high school and into a trade school time. And really, since then, it was this just maintenance, survive mindset for what had already been invested, but we want to do a good job with just at least something here. And it's, and honestly, at times it's been pretty disheartening to me. I'm just going to be real vulnerable about it. Um, I've had more headaches over that 20 acres of land than I can even describe to you. We've spent thousands and thousands of dollars just trying to secure it from being stolen. And it's been a long process, and, and actually I just went in February, and I didn't really honestly say much about going in February because... You know, COVID was still going on, and I just thought, let's, I'm just going to go because they opened the borders, and I didn't have to quarantine. I just had to test, you know, negative like a thousand times, get that nasal swab over and over and over at every plane stop and at every location. And we went, and I was there for just uh, actually eight days, and I came back because, and when I came back, I had this feeling that it was going on the whole time. And I felt like Jesus was telling me, are you going to finish the work we started? And I was like, you mean sell everything and get out? <laughs> and I knew, I knew what he meant. And I just met with all the kids that we've supported. And I, I mean, I just know them all very well personally. And I'd spent actually a lot of the week with this one, one young man who's graduated and doesn't have anything else to do, so he just hung out with us all week. And, and I realized these, they're turning into adults, these kids that used to be just kids in an 
a children's home, are now adults. And they're getting ready to make decisions for their life, and they're getting ready to kind of, you know, try to make a, a life of their own in northern Uganda or in Uganda. And I realized if we are going to actually finish the work that God started there, we actually have a timetable to do something. And I felt an urgency, and I, I kind of sat on it for a few weeks after I got back because I didn't want to just say, yeah, let's go for something like this. But, but after we talked with uh, our leaders here and the elders, I feel like God's telling us we have a two-year timetable for us to actually start, and I'm going to say this, start to finish the work. And at the end of the day, this is what, as a church we believe, this is what I believe. The planting of a church is the most incredible act of extending the kingdom that we can do. It's not about a building or a name. It's about planting people. Because when we plant people who are transformed, what happens? They transform more people. Who end up transforming the areas in which they live and the villages and cities in which they live and we actually see transformation come to areas of the world. And I felt like God was saying, if you're gonna do something that's gonna connect all that you've invested over these years to something that is gonna sustain and actually extend the kingdom of God, you've gotta send some transformed people. So who wants to go? It's an actual question. Because it's going to take transformed people. And I believe specifically that, you know, the amount that we've worked in northern Uganda and worked around the people there, there's something we have that they don't have. Even in their understanding of Christ and Jesus and church, there are some things missing that we can actually bring and help finish the work. You know, I was talking about this with someone, and they were almost kind of trying to like say, well, listen, you know, God doing a work in Uganda isn't, isn't dependent on you. You know, he's the cornerstone of the church, and if you build on Jesus, he's the cornerstone. And, and in that moment, I felt Jesus say, yeah, but you're still a stone. He's the cornerstone we build on, but guess who else builds it? It's us. We're the stones within the wall. So literally the church, the extension of the kingdom of God and the impacting of regions of the world is built on us as people. It takes us. And so to, to think, yeah, we have something to offer that they don't have, it's true because we're not there yet. And simply going as transformed people will then literally introduce something into this place that they will never have experienced before. Not that other people haven't, but guess what? We're all infinitely unique. Simply because one person hasn't gone literally means there's something they can bring to a place that hasn't changed that place yet. And God wants to use us to transform people. And so, you know, the kind of big thought we're doing is we're going to make a real push in northern Uganda. You know, coming back to some of the practicals, um, Kayla Kesner is actually planning to move there. And she's going to go, I think, and yeah, you can clap for her. She's awesome. I don't know the exact dates, but I think, I think around July or mid-July. And not for a short period. A few years, probably. 
Because listen, sometimes transformation takes time. You know, I think sometimes we plant seeds and we're like, where's my fruit? You know, we live in an instant society. It doesn't work that way. You got to water it. You got to give it some sun. You got to water it again. You got to wait some time. You got to pick out the weeds trying to kill it. Transformation does take time. It takes work. And I I felt Jesus saying, are you going to finish the work you started? So we have 20 acres there. Now, I just want to give you a little lowdown of the situation. We have 20 acres of land there. And uh, we've worked hard over the years to secure it. It's been a difficult process. I can't even possibly explain what it's like to try to purchase land in a, a, a place where land has never been purchased. So there's a whole process. When, when land has never been purchased, you have to, it's, you know, you're basically taking it from tribal land to then documented land, and it's a ridiculously long process to do that and complicated. And we're actually, we've been in court with a guy who's, it's a long story, but basically, you know, it's all about corruption, unfortunately. And so we're just in court at the time. But the best thing for us to do is use the land. So I've been trying to get someone to use the property because it's really the best way to keep it. <laughs> and the first thing we have to do, so we have a great friend. So if you guys remember Kent and Rebecca Nolly, they came, I think, just two years ago now, uh, shared here. They have an incredible ministry. They've been living there for five years, I think, right now. They're planning to... They're actually building a, a permanent home for themselves there. Um, they'll be there probably a long time. So we've worked closely with them, and he has a large farm already and does a lot of different ministry stuff. And so I asked him, hey, would you be able to use our land to just get it used for a while? And the, the first and main issue is we have to put up a fence around 20 acres. It's a lot of fence. We put up some fence, and then because we didn't use the property, and because we didn't have someone there watching it, some nice folks came down and cut the fence and sold it for money. So we lost a whole bunch of fence we had installed years ago. So now we're actually at this place. I just got a quote, and we need to basically fence our whole property in order for someone else to be able to use it, you know, in a good way. And it's going to cost about $13,500, which in my mind is not bad for 20 acres, but you know, Uganda prices are actually fair at times. And that's gonna be like concrete posts because they can't cut those with chain link fencing. And so one of the things we wanna do today is we wanna raise money to put this fence in nearly immediately. Uh, and actually the, the guy who's gonna be using the property said, hey, I'll front the money, but I can't if you're not gonna pay it back to me. So we're, we're gonna probably pay him back over however long it takes us. We need to raise $14,000 to put fencing around this property. And then actually we want to raise money because we're going to be sending Kayla as a missionary. We want to send her as a representation of NTC there. She's going to work with the kids. She's probably going to work with maybe some other ministries happening there. Um, But she'll be gold when we send more transformed people. (laughs) Because she knows all the learning curve of northern Uganda. And so we're going to be sending Kayla, and we're going to raise some money to support her for that. We're going to raise money to put a fence around this property to get it used. And actually what it's going to be used for is they're going to put chicken houses on it and a couple of goat houses. And what they do is a huge ministry to widows in the region. And about, I think they have almost 100 widows that they, they help support. And what they do is they provide work for them. And so they'll actually come on our property. 
They're going to build huts. They're going to live there. And they're going to farm chickens and goats. Yeah. So it's kind of a neat thing if you care about farming. Chanda cares about farming. (laughs) So that's one of the things we're going to be doing soon. But then the most important thing is to send more people. And at the end of the day, two weeks ago, you heard Jessica speak. She talked about Abraham, and I think she actually then later read out of Isaiah. Isaiah 6, 8, there's kind of this moment where, where God is, in my opinion, asking a rhetorical question. And he says, whom can I send? Now, in the situation of the story, there's only one person there. It's Isaiah. Who's recording God speaking? And, G- and God speaks this, whom can I send? And Isaiah's response says, is this, here I am, send me. And God says, go and deliver the message which I give you. I think he's asking that rhetorical question of us today because I think we're all supposed to say yes in some way. Because when we want to go somewhere, we're going to go together. And I know God's really doing an incredible amount of stuff through this church right now. And actually, I'm overwhelmed by what I feel God calling us to. And it's a good overwhelming because I realize I can't do it. Our lead team can't do it. Our eldership team can't do it. But guess who can? We all can. Plant in Augensburg help plant in Sacandaga region, and now send people as missionaries to plant in Uganda, I'm like, Jesus, we can't do this all. Like, are you confused? This is Messina. 12,000 people. Maybe reaching around 20,000 that come here for commerce, but I mean, this is not the resource center of the world, Jesus. But yet he's asking, who can I send? And I think our response is supposed to be, here I am. Here I am. Send me. And I'm not saying everyone's called to Uganda, but we're supposed to be saying, here I am, for wherever he's calling us to. But I do think there's possibly some people in this room or watching online who are called to Uganda. To give two, three, five years of your life to a whole nother place to see it transformed. It's not something you have to even, I don't think God always calls us to somewhere to just live the rest of our days out. But wherever he has us in the moments he has us, he calls us to be transformers there. To transform the people. To transform thinking. To help see the region of of where we live transformed. And while we're there, we should be saying, yes, here I am, send me. So this summer we're actually going to be sending Kayla We're going to be building this fence right away. We're going to be sending a team in uh, mid-July, actually, uh, that the youth have been planning for a couple of years but haven't been able to do because of COVID. We're going to send them. There's a possibility of another trip in August that's going to be open to everybody. And then, actually, I want to go specifically maybe November, December, and I want to take a trip specifically with some people who literally ask this question, say, God, I'm willing to explore if I'm supposed to move my life there. And I believe I'm going to have some people 
from this room watching online, from this church, from this region, who say, I am willing to consider moving my life to another place to see it transformed. And then we just go and explore. Go and see what Uganda's like. Go and see if God lights something in your heart and in your soul that says, yeah, I want to give my life for this group of people right now. I want to say yes to what God's calling me to. Listen, if you feel like you haven't been used by God, there's plenty of opportunity to be used. Go on a trip. Go on a two-week trip somewhere. I, 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 I've often talked about short-term trips. Honestly, the biggest impact is not what we do there. It's what happens within us. It changes you. It changes how you see the world. It changes how you see God. It changes how you see the, the bigger picture of what God's doing in the world. And just like this woman in this moment, I think sometimes we get stuck in just carrying our jar around and doing the same old thing, but yet God wants us to say, hey, just put your jar down for a little while. Just put it down by that place where you live and those things that you do and go somewhere else. Do something different. Step out of your norm and see what God can do because the end of this story, which we're gonna read right now, and I'm gonna finish in just a moment, It says, verse 39, so it says they were streaming, right? And then Jesus talks about that nourishment thing. And then 39 comes and says, Many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, He told me everything I ever did. When they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in their village, so he stayed for two days, long enough for many more to hear his message and believe. Then they said to the woman, now we believe not just because of what you told us, but because of what we have heard from him ourselves. Now we know that he is indeed the Savior of the world. Jesus reveals himself for the first time to Samaritans and then literally see, you see this village transformed because they simply invite him in and say, yeah, we don't want to live the way we have. Because one woman was willing to put down what she was doing and where she was going and the things that were happening in her life to run to this place and tell everyone about what had just taken place. I think sometimes we get in Christianity too long and we lose that. We lose that part that says, I gotta tell someone what just happened. You know, I kind of live by this challenge in my life that if I don't have a story from this week that compels me to run and tell someone else what God's doing, I might not be doing what God's doing. I don't want to just tell people my story from 20 years ago or 10 years ago or five years ago or even three months ago. I want to tell someone the story about what Jesus did this week in my life or through me in someone else's life. I've been recently really challenged because, listen, for me, I'm stuck in a world full of already Christians. And I know it's, it's part of what I'm supposed to do, but I don't want to just live there. And so actually this week I was driving back from Malone. I spent all day in Malone with the church there and, and the leaders there, and we're working on great stuff happening there. And I'm driving, and I just want to get home. It was actually really late, and it was, it was raining actually pretty hard. And, I'm, and I drive, and I don't drive slow, just so you know. 
I drive fast, and I'm getting somewhere. And I pass this guy, I'm probably going 65 miles an hour, and I pass this guy hitchhiking. And usually, honestly, I wouldn't probably even think about it. But instantly, I just felt like Jesus was like, here's an opportunity. So I came to a quick stop, backed up a little ways, and he came to the car, and I said, where are you going? We were just outside Malone. He said, I I probably shouldn't tell this story with people who are in here. But he was going somewhere he probably wasn't supposed to go. We'll just say that. But I dropped him at the reservation. You can surmise the rest yourself. And he was actually asking me how to cross into Canada. I'll just be honest. So you can go look for him if you're Border Patrol. Sorry. (laughs) Sorry. I didn't tell him how. But he said he had read on the internet that he could cross the border on the reservation. (laughs) I'm so stupid. I'm sorry. So anyway. But I had him trapped in my car for 30 minutes. It was perfect. So I talked to him about his life. He's 20 years old. He left home about a year and a half ago. Abusive situation. Um, So I tell him I'm a pastor. And he says he used to go to church when he was a kid. But but not since he had moved in with his stepdad. And, and so I just told him about Jesus, and he's like, yeah, I prayed a prayer once when I was young, and uh, I think I know God. And I said, well, you know what? I know he knows you. So I got to pray with him again and, and you know, tried to bless him in that moment, got him some food, and, you know, when we were at, like, the Twin Leaf or something, and, you know, I prayed that he wasn't going to get, you know, caught. I know that sounds terrible. I'm going to get a call from somebody. I know this. <laughs> but I left, and, and, and as much as I, I may never see this person again, I, I put him on my list to pray for. I thought to myself, this, this is what we're supposed to be doing. Not just picking up hitchhikers and helping them cross illegally. Don't, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> I'm saying we're supposed to be looking at the world around us and saying, God, where do you want me to help transform somebody? Where do you want me to go? And in that moment, it was just to the side of the road. It happened to be in the direction I was driving. Like, that was an easy one. Thanks, Jesus. It was convenient. Sometimes it's not. What if I would have gotten in that car and he said, hey, I need to go to Saranac Lake? Uh, I'm not going that way. That's usually our answer. Not just to hitchhikers, but to Jesus. I'm not going that way, Jesus. So if you want to come with me, you can stay in the car. But if not, wait for the next guy. Who can I send? Who can I send? I'm not saying Uganda right now. You're afraid to raise your hand. It's okay. (laughs) But who can I send? Jesus is asking us this right now. Who can I send? And I pray our answer is, here I am. Send me, even if it's in the wrong direction, or even if it's not where I wanted to go or planned to go, or what I'm comfortable with, Jesus, send me. Because I want to live a transformed, fulfilled life that helps transform other lives. Why don't we stand? In the seats, I have a video to show.
Actually, I want so I'm going to do this, and then we're going to show a quick little video. It's not very long. You can stay standing. Um, just for Uganda specifically, there's ways that we can all be involved. Pray, give, and go. These are in the seat backs in front of you. And I want to challenge you today. Get involved somehow on there. Sign up. Pray, give, or go. And we're going to just show this video just so you can, I mean, I've been there. It's, it's almost like a second home for me, but most of us have not ever even put our eyes on the place. So why don't we show this quick little video, and then I'm going to pray for us. So go ahead. Should be sound. Imagine a powerful worship song in the background. (laughs) These are all moments from our trips. Shoulder to shoulder people waiting for Jesus. They don't know it. These are some of our kids, actually. Much younger at the moment, though. These are all the boys from the home. This is just Gulu Streets. This is what it looks like there. It was better with music. (laughs) Let's just pray. Father, we just ask right now, even in the midst of just this silent moment, God, speak to our hearts. Challenge every one of us, God. God, don't let us just live our comfortable life carrying our jar around, going to our well, whatever that looks like, never doing anything different, never stepping outside of just the norm of what we've known. God, I just pray right now that something would literally enter our hearts that would compel us once again to be transformed, God, and in return to just be compelled to tell others, God, to, to, to just say, this, I'm telling you, this is what God's done in my life, and maybe God wants to do something in your life. God, I pray that today that some, something would awaken in our hearts to just answer that call that you said to Isaiah, who can I send? And we would respond, here I am, send me, Lord. 
God, that we go with the message that you have inside us to every place you're sending us, God. Not just northern Uganda and Gulu, though I think some people are supposed to go. God, not just Augensburg, though I think some people are supposed to go. But God, every day, wherever we find ourselves, at the store, in our workplace, God, in our classrooms, Father. God, wherever you are sending us, let us realize that we are actually sent there. Not just going by happenstance. Not just being in a place because that's where we ended up. But God, you've sent us to a place to transform it. God, transform our hearts to see the world like that. To look for the opportunities. To say yes to the ones that maybe are inconvenient and difficult and costly. But God, let us realize that true fulfillment comes from doing the will of our Father who sent us and finishing his work. God, let us finish your work while we're here on this earth. Let us finish your work wherever we are each day. And God, just as a church, we say we're willing to go wherever you call us. God, I pray right now that everyone watching online, everyone that comes across this video later, God, every person in this room, God, that something would compel us to be different this week, God, that we would all, literally every one of us, come back next week with a story of saying yes to God sending us in some way. Whether it's pulling over for a stranger on the road or whether it's writing a card of encouragement to a coworker, or whether it's praying for someone in a time of need, however it looks, God, let us come with a story that says this is God and this is how he's working. And Father, I ask for you to bless every person in this room, every person online. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to NTC Messina's podcast. We hope you join us next week and have a blessed day.